Say that the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA. You know what? If you're Lutheran, you kind of owe me an apology right now. <laughs> Glenn's been at a gala this afternoon, and it was um, not short. Also joining us, Jed Brew, the director of Mission USA Productions. I love Lutherans. Glenn, I can't get enough of them. Jed did not go to the gala. I married a Lutheran. <laughs> I say also married Lutheran, a different brand of Lutheran. Well, but, uh, yeah, it's technically We true. really don't have time to get into that. Join us I mean, the it's the better brand of Lutheran. That's the key thing to know. It's Moving the superior on. Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's face. <laughs> Jed taking a step up for the Missouri Synod. <laughs> Not the Lutherans we do any work with, so um, we're going to find out if some inner city church people have access to podcasts. <laughs> That's going to be fun for all of us. Joining us all the way from Rutgers, Tennessee, one of the pastors at Christ Community Church, which is in no way, shape, or form Lutheran, Lee Younger. What's up, Lee? I'd like to go on record as saying that I have never made Glenn stay four hours at a meeting before. That is true. That's true. And that's why I love you, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> he put that right Do on Do I love Front Lutherans Street. also in theory, but uh, right now... You know, maybe it's hard to feel it. Absolutely. Coming in low. Oh, my Lord. I mean, turn a brother loose. <laughs> We're on hour number four. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. Well, I want to run past you a couple of kind of passive-aggressive, you know, kind of manipulative momisms and see which of those you feel like would apply to the way you feel about Lutherans right now. Okay. All right. Oh, First is Lutherans, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> that's wow. not accurate. Glenn that's, is angry. Yeah, that's true. Okay, know, so, so okay. okay, so we like that, but that's maybe not all the way there. It's good yeah. in general. I don't think it applies to this situation. Uh, yeah. Let me yeah. try again. Lutherans, I love you, but right now I sure don't like you. That's, that's, uh, that's closer strong. for sure. Yeah, that's okay. we're getting warmer. All right. All right. Let me let me see if I can I'm gonna really I'm gonna really try and crank up the guilt here. I'm gonna really try and and go for broke. I'm gonna, I'm gonna dig deep into my own personal experiences. Okay. Wow. Lutherans, what's right with it? Hello. Yeah. Wow. There's nothing right with a four hour gala. Yeah. 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 So of those three, which one do you feel like is kind of most you right now towards the Lutherans? Well, I think the middle one is very strong. Very is it, it strikes the right note. Love you, just don't like you. Love you, right now. Not liking you. Yeah. You know, well, let me pitch an alternate version of the first one, which I yeah. think may encapsulate Glenn's feelings in this moment. Sure. Lutherans, I'm not angry. I'm filled with murderous rage. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference. I mean, when I'm just sitting there moaning, let my people go. <laughs> I mean, it's, you yes. know what I mean? It's. Uh, uh, yeah. I have a vision in my head that there's a person on stage to talk about well, with the Senate and the majority and the system and the thing, with the thing, the thing. And Glenn's Again, going, I think you might have the wrong Lutherans, but <laughs> go ahead. And Glenn is just going, ah! <laughs> You are not far from wrong. <laughs> you are actually not at all far from wrong. Also, that is, Glenn that is, is quoting close. Ferris Bueller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. And the media. Yeah, no, it, it uh, yeah, that's, um, yeah. 
I gotta say, if I thought there was a chance that you would actually just have a guttural scream in the midst of someone giving a report you on... Say like, you say it like that's never happened in staff meeting. <laughs> well, it's happened <laughs> in staff meeting. I'm saying if I thought that would happen in the midst of a high-level denominational meeting, right. I would go. Well, you were, it, was, it was perilously close to occurring. <laughs> okay. Had my wife not been there, that's what would have been would happening. It, it would have happened. Yeah. No question. Well, wives, the the presence of Jane made that go a lot smoother. We we can never overstate the civilizing influence that the uh, the women of the Say That Universe had had on the three gentlemen you hear from, including turning Jed from a selfish little man right. into a caretaker. <laughs> I am going to not to get us off the losing thing because you know the kids love hot denominational talk. They do. <laughs> Can't get enough of it. Right. They do. But... We have an emergency. We sure do. An avian emergency. Wow. Is this a serious emergency, y'all? This no, is a bird really. emergency. It is oh. a bird emergency. Coming next fall on Sci-Fi. <laughs> do, we, do we like bird emergency or emergency? Ooh. Both fun Ooh, options. Emergency. Well, you gotta save one for the sequel. Say we six one half a dozen of the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both are good. Roger Corman these. We're gonna have to crank these out at a pretty high clip. <laughs> so Jed takes to the Twitters, as he is often wont to do. With a picture of, and I quote the caption, official studio bird. Mm-hmm. As some of you may have heard, the, uh, maybe maybe we've talked about it on this podcast. I know it's uh, it's made a very popular appearance in one of Glenn's sermons on the Bridge podcast. Yes. Yeah. That uh, Jed and Hallie have a bird. We do. Because Hallie loves animals. Right. And Jed realizes how far above his station he is married. Yes, that's also correct. So he's just rolling with the punches here. Yep. He is pretending to be happy about and and enthusiastically <laughs> responding to the call to have a bird. Yes. But, in fact, he hates this bird. As Glenn has said, in front of a room full of people trying to worship at the bridge, a room that includes Jed's wife, Jed hates this bird. <laughs> That's right. I While making tell- eye contact with Hallie. That's this is why I, I will tell the truth to the people. Okay. <laughs> I think a quote from the sermon was, "Y'all, I'm going to tell you the truth about this bird." Exactly right. Bird the, truths. There's a and here's what I'm going to tell you back about it. And I think we need to get into this at some point. This bird hates Jed back. Well, that is true. <laughs> well, that's definitely true. This bird hates Jed yeah. badly. Yeah, that's but true. But for no reason. Jed takes good care of this bird. We have confirmation of that. Right. Because Jed puts up the picture of the bird on a little perch in the uh, in the studio. It's adorable. Yep. Right. It gets a, gets a response from a concerned citizen. Actually, an immediate response. It was yes. less than 90 seconds. From a, a concerned animal rights activist there on Twitter, <laughs> our friend Cole of uh, the recently married Mike and Nicole, who, like any of us, when seeing that Jed's been putting in charge of a living creature... <laughs> Had some concerns. Yeah. Also known as horrified, right? I have yeah. the Twitter pulled up. I will quote it verbatim. Okay. Nicole says, at Jed Brewer, is that a real bird? Two question marks. <laughs> Who the heck is taking care of it? Two question marks. You know birds can't survive on Doritos and Mountain Dew, right? Three I, question marks. I know that now. <laughs> sure. Well, now, now you tell us. After that bird class Hallie made you take, <laughs> Jed did not do well on the first written exam. Yeah. 
So, Jed, I, I want to get your thoughts, your feelings about the, the 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 way the world interacts with you. Yeah, the way our our lovely listeners and super fans just see just a lot of. If you saw somebody think, oh, you know, this person has a pet. That's lovely, right? right a thing right. for the to fill their life with love and happiness, to care for them. And yet, the world when it sees that Jed has a pet's first thought is, oh God, Jed will kill that bird. <laughs> Right. Jed is going to code red that bird with Mountain Dew. <laughs> Correct. Well, look, here, here's the thing. The, the, the most important thing, the thing I really have us meditate on, kind of the thing I want us to land on, is the bird is fine. That's it, the key thing. Is yeah. the bird fine, me, Jed? The bird it, is fine. Is everything okay in that relationship? The bird is fine. Let me let me take you, you dear listeners, <laughs> behind the scenes of the bridge staff and the staff meeting. Every Sunday we have a lo- most Sundays we have a lovely dinner. Then we have our staff meeting. Right. Glenn was very excited to find out about the bird. Yeah, very that's true. Because he had a sense that Jed was not going to be entirely thrilled with the bird experience. Right. Uh, yeah. And that brought Glenn much joy. Yes. He also had a sense that Hallie was way way into the bird thing. Yeah. Yeah. So Glenn, as he does. Finds a uh, you know Vike, a the Norse god Loki style just <laughs> joy in mischief. Yeah, yeah. And Glenn says, "Here's a place to sow some discord and mischief." <laughs> Jed, how are you liking the bird <laughs> at the dinner table? Where would Glenn is seated at the head of the table? Next to him is Jed. Next to Jed is Hallie. Right. So now Glenn has put Jed in a bit of a position where he must choose his words carefully. Yeah. The words he chose were, the bird is fine. And since then, every subsequent discussion about the bird in any kind of mixed company has not began with, not ended with, has consisted entirely of the response, the bird is fine. Yeah. Here's what I'm saying is not only has this bird developed an almost... Uh, 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 I, I, I really would describe it as a racial hatred okay. towards Jed. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's like a cross species. Right. But it's... It's a specious hatred. You think he's yeah. trying to deny Jed his right to vote? I think <laughs> it's... You know what it is? It's, I, I think he's d- denying Jed's essential right to exist. Yeah, okay. I think that's fair. And has attempted to... Uh, to literally uh, not just attack Jed, but consume his actual flesh. Wow. It is a biter. She's a biter. There have That's been true. bitings. That's true. Which has led Glenn to declare in front of Jed and I privately, in front of the staff of the bridge, in front of the entire room at the bridge. Oh, this bird has a taste for human flesh, y'all. Yeah. This is what I'm saying, is we're dealing with a carnivorous uh, parrot-like animal. It's true. That has, because here's what, I'm going to explain to you all now, animal stuff. Sure, break it down, man. What you have is animals do what they do. you got a bird, you put bird seed in there, you're going to eat them bird seed. He's going to be happy. Absolutely. That's fine. Sure, sure. But if I take you, for example, and you've never had bacon. Right. Right. I give you bacon for the first time. Right. Your mind is going to be blown. 
And you're going to say, why am I not eating bacon at every single meal? Absolutely right. right. Makes sense. It's the only reasonable question. Okay. Then several years later, your cardiologist explains why you shouldn't have been eating bacon. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's what happens. You take your average bird, he's eating seeds all day. Right. You know, he didn't know any different. Right. He's happy. Sure, absolutely. But you give that bird a taste of human flesh. And specifically, my flesh. Okay. Which is... Seasoned with Mountain Dew and Doritos, though it may be. (laughs) Absolutely. And and I I will say, uh, and I don't mean this in a negative way, very tender and supple. Well, richly marbled, certainly. Okay. (laughs) So... (laughs) That bird's in there. I mean, it's uh, it's it, 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 it's a uh, uh, it's not a lean meat. Jed is considered the Kobe beef of human flesh. <laughs> okay, here's how much time you and I spend together. That's literally the comment I was about to make. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's so, disturbing. That's what I'm saying. Is this bird, it, you know, got a taste for not just human flesh, but Jed's flesh in particular? Sure. And now this bird is just crazy. It's basically like a, a vampire bird. So my question is, is there a scenario in which we could see like a total kung fu face-off between you and the bird in the studio using studio equipment as like the props for the different fighting moves, like a full-on, like a full-on kung fu bout? It's an excellent question. I think there's every chance... Crouching tiger, hidden parrot. Absolutely right. I think there's every chance that we could and will. The one problem here is... Um, I, I have a bit of an edge on um, uh, the bird in that I am many, many, many times its size, uh, which you know I think gives me a little bit of an advantage. But I have a disadvantage in that if the bird doesn't win and handily, my wife, right. um, she will physically hurt me. So you're saying this is a handicap match style situation. Yeah. It's not really one-on-one with the bird. It's really not. You're it's... saying you don't want the wife to have to choose between you and the bird. Because <laughs> I know which way that would go. <laughs> sure. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Well, and it makes a certain amount of sense. Absolutely. Well, who wouldn't? The right. bird, fluffy and adorable. Right. Me? Not so much. Not so much. Well, you know. I think we, I don't want to skip over this because, uh, Glenn has mentioned Vampire Bird. Right. Mm-hmm. And I am I think that's the sci-fi original movie that hasn't been made yet. Yeah, yeah. I think we can do something with that. I think also, eventually, we talk someone into Bird Twilight. Sure. Uh-huh. Right. Just a shot-for-shot shot remake, but with birds. <laughs> is there, is there <laughs> any way that we could put a Christian spin on this and pitch it to Pure Flix? Well, oh, I want to yes. make actual money, so... I don't Let's know. try. 60 million, baby. That's true. Bird's not dead? Sure. Bird's not dead. Bird's <laughs> not dead. He's back from the dead, and he's consuming Judd's flesh. But see, here's the here's the Christian take on it, is at some point we have a scene with Jed where right. we all sit down and we're wearing sweaters, so that's how you can tell how it's spiritual we are. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Again, I feel the need to point out, Literal thing in fireproof. You know he's a Christian now because he put on a sweater. Yep. So we all get besweatered. Right. Sure. And then we sit Jed down and have a Burton Burton mention. Sure. I like that. The portmanteaus are getting out of control already in this show. Yeah, they really are. Enough of the portmanteaus. But we get, we have a bird intervention. Right. Where we say, Jed, where are the boundaries in this relationship? Sure, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Right. Bird ties. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> and at some point, you know, can, you know, why do you feel like you can't let go of this relationship? Sure, you know absolutely. And we get into all the dimensions of it, right? Beak ties, 
and then there's a then you cry right at the end sure and then you and the bird become friends right and uh and like that that's excellent i like it all i think to to bring it in for a landing to answer nicole's specific concerns um hallie actually i'm not making this up has a list posted for my benefit by the cage foods the bird can eat Foods the bird cannot eat. <laughs> so, that, we, is this list because maybe you tried some experimentation, Jed? We may never know the origin of the list, but the we can. The bird is fine. We can reassure Nicole and all concerned parties that the bird is fine and shall remain so. And I think on that basis, we can probably declare emergency off. Also, we can safely declare there's no such thing as underestimating Jed. <laughs> Yeah, because I imagine if she he hit sand, Nicole had a moment where I'm joking here. I hope Jed takes this as that I'm joking. He doesn't think that I think he would actually try to feed soft drinks and um, corn chips to a bird. Hallie's way ahead of you on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the thing you have to know. Yeah, yeah. Bird box, bridge box. There's no transition here, people. You should sign up for bridge box. Yes, you should. That's smooth music. Sermons, songs. I think I wasted my transition on getting from Lutherans to the bird. Sure, that's fine. So, you know, I've already spent that. But, Michigan, we have a brand new bridge box out as of November 1st. We're recording this. A couple of days later, it goes up. Uh, the thing, the uh, topic is how do I deal with unfair government and imperfect authority? Something along those lines. Close enough. Yeah, sure. The whole idea is basically the Bible clearly says in Romans 13 and other places that you should obey authority and listen to the government and do those things. However, um, if you watch the news, you know that that's, pardon me, you know that that gets a little complicated at times. So we, a whole thing of songs, sermons, Bible studies, devotionals, a lot of stuff looking at that, looking at how we actually live that out. It's a lot of good stuff. You get something like that in your inbox every month. And the most important thing is you get to give to fund the work we're doing right here in the city of Chicago, in the jailhouse, on the streets, gang members, people recovering from addiction, all sorts of folks we get to reach out to because of your support. Only $8 a month. Sign up at missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, going to jump to our first question here. If you have a question for us, hang out with us all the way to the end, and I'll give you some ways to get in touch with us. First one comes in anonymously to our Tumblr, and it says, Thanks for all the helpful answers on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. You guys are great, but Glenn is the awesomest, of course. Well, now, look, fellas, it's not a competition. It is, in fact. I mean, if, if it's not it, a competition, why do we have this leaderboard? If, if it was a competition, yes, I'd be winning. Yes, fine. But you if know, it's not a competition. Why do you have that championship belt on? It, it's just that some people have opinions, and their opinion is I'm the best. We we actually have a panel of judges that awards points every episode. Oh, it it, it is actually literally a competition. Okay, do we get prizes? We're all in the negative. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bummer. (laughs) With my work and family, they often express their opinions and then assume that I agree because I don't really say anything. I was wondering how I can get better at sticking up for myself. I really struggle to speak up to others, especially when it might involve confrontation. How do I stop being afraid and make myself heard? Well, being that you're a Glenn fan, you probably know that uh, Glenn is very much a a reclusive personality has a hard time speaking up and making himself heard. But Glenn, why don't you power through that and start us off? <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I'd like to suggest to you, um, there's a book you may have heard of. It's a, a classic book. It was written many years ago. 
by a, a guy named Dale Carnegie. Uh, he's a famous industrialist, and he wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's a simple little book. You could probably read through it in one sitting. Uh, it's an interesting um, book because in today's society, I think a lot of people have the immature thought that if you disagree with me, it's because you don't understand my viewpoint. And if I tell you what it is and you pay attention to me telling you what it is, then you will agree with me. Sure. Because there's no way you could disagree with me if you knew what I was saying. Yeah. Um, uh, that's actually not how you get people to agree with you. That's actually not how you win people over to your point of view. And is it, 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 it does not involve you just insisting that you be heard <laughs> yeah. and that people pay attention to you. Um, and I think that's part of the thing is you, you may see other people confront, uh, in that way of, yeah. Hey, listen to me. And you don't want to be that kind of person in the th- the thing is, I don't think you should try to be that person. Uh, one of the things, uh, and, and really, the whole book is actually really good. It's very simple, very basic, uh, but it will help you a great deal on your, your EQ, your emotional intelligence. And one of the things that he says is that you should never tell another person you're wrong. You should mm-hmm. not use those words. It's an interesting exercise, mental exercise, to think of having a confrontation where you aren't using those words, where you're not saying I disagree with you. I think you're wrong. Because it, to a certain extent, when you think about it, that's kind of a rude thing to, mm. to say. It's, a, it's an exclusionary thing to say. It's a, uh, an intentionally uh, sort of incendiary thing to say. Um, I, you can easily turn that confrontation into, well, uh, let me give you another perspective on that. Or, you know, here's something that maybe you haven't considered. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I know this one detail that you may not be looking at. Let me toss that into this uh, because I think it might change our perspective if we all looked at it together. But I think uh, what that will do is give you a language that you can use in a confrontation that's much more gentle, which I think is good, actually. Uh, and it And is also less... Uh, rude, less uh, in, uh, uh, provocative, provocative of the other person. You know, uh, less uh, insulting and, and mean, uh, but can can give us a, a, an inv- an invitation to let's look at this in a deeper mm-hmm. way, and let's not just look at the surface of things, and let's have it be a discussion as opposed to a series of rants where mm-hmm. we're all an audience mm-hmm. for each other. Uh, confrontation is a muscle, and it gets stronger the more that you use it. And I think that's the thing: is uh, get used to a, a gentle, loving, sweet. Uh, hey, oh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think for me, I look at it this way. But you know, whatever it is for you, that's mm-hmm. fine. I, you know, I might look at it differently, but God bless you, whatever. Uh, you know, uh, just so you know, I don't listen to that channel, so I, and I don't vote that way because of that, and. Uh, you know, don't take my silence as an agreement on that. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, I don't see it quite the way you do. But God bless you, and mm-hmm. you know, so on and so forth. I think the the more you do that, the more comfortable you are with it. That's absolutely right. There's a great point about uh, confrontation being a muscle, and you kind of work it out, you get better at. It. And that's definitely true. Of course, one of the uh, key th- skills of confrontation that I think is Glenn is pointing to there, in kind of a comment section. Let me explain this to you. Kind of think it's worked out is 
there's uh, the first step in all this is deciding whether or not this is worth it. Yeah. Uh, you really, one of the skills that if you've never done any confronting, you're not used to, that you need to kind of get a hold of is the uh, the ability to pick your battles and think your way through that. Can you talk us through that, Jed? I can. Um, and I, I just want to back up everything Glenn said. He's, he's absolutely right. One of the weird things that happens kind of as you grow and mature, you get closer to the Lord, hopefully get a bit of wisdom and discernment, is you realize there's wrong and stupid stuff being said and done everywhere you go all day, every day. Yeah. It's just it's just a sea of it everywhere yeah. you turn in the world. I mean, you yeah. can see it really clearly on the internet, but it's actually true everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. It's just people saying and doing wrong and dumb stuff nonstop. You yeah. know, and even in a ministry context, when I'm... If I'm in a county jail and I'm talking with a dude and he's trying to figure stuff out in his life, and I say, tell me your story. And he starts walking me through kind of where he's come from and what he's been through. He's going to describe to me, even a dude that's a really good dude trying to make changes, he's going to describe to me 20 things that are the wrongest thing you've yeah. ever heard in your entire life. Yeah. And a dozen attitudes that are completely wrong on right. every t- just right. and he doesn't mean it that way, but he's just right. he's right. dead wrong. Well, I can't. It would it would be bad ministry and bad technique for me to say, let me disagree with you on the twelve things you've just said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In, instead, it's about saying, what's the one thing that's really holding him back? What's the mm-hmm. one key thing that ties all this together? What's the thing that's most pressing? Mm-hmm. All right. The same thing is true in your life that there is a hierarchy of what you're encountering. There are things that really, really, really matter. There are things that don't matter at all. And then there's a lot of stuff that's in between. So for example, if you have a child and you're at a family dinner party and your child has a peanut allergy and Aunt Mildred declares, well, you know, I don't believe in peanut allergies. So here, Timmy, (laughs) here's a plate of peanut butter cookies. That's a moment for a sharp, firm, and immediate confrontation that may include throwing the cookies away and saying, don't ever do that again. All right, that's the one extreme. On the opposite extreme is Aunt Mildred having something, you know, vaguely rude to say about, you know, somebody she doesn't like that has nothing to do with you in any way. It's probably not worth you having something to say about it because it doesn't have anything to do with you in any way. And she's not soliciting your opinion. So there's that. It sounds from your question like a lot of the stuff you're dealing with is the in-between, where it's not a life and death thing, it's not threatening anybody's immediate well-being, but there is kind of an element of them asking you to co-sign, kind of in an implied way. Well, we all know those Democrats are morons, don't we? (laughs) And if you, is it a silence is a scent kind of situation? Mm -hmm. If you don't speak up, does that say anything? What do you do with that? The thing I'd encourage you to look at and pray about, and Glenn's exactly right, and he's given you a lot of good technique, and I think Lee is as well, kind of, if you decide to speak up how to do that. But the thing that I'd encourage you to look at is, what's the best case scenario here? Mm. If you do it exactly right, what does it yield? Right. Um, uh, if, if you speak up and say, well, actually, I, I don't think all Democrats are idiots, does that accomplish anything? <laughs> right. Do, does, does that... Yeah. Does that do anything for you? Does that mm-hmm. do anything for the other person? Does that actually right or wrong? Does that change anything? Because mm-hmm. I think what you're going to find is in a lot of cases, it doesn't. You magically changed her opinions. Yeah, and, <laughs> and are they kind of baiting you into it? Right. Exactly right. Is this a person who's kind of trying to start an, an argument? What you may find is there's some places where maybe someone has an idea in their head that you feel a certain way, and so they're doing certain things based on that. And if you could correct that idea, 
then we could have a smoother, easier, better relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know, you have an you know an aunt that assumes you hate her peanut butter cookies, right. and you have to speak. Actually, Aunt Mildred, I love your peanut butter cookies; they're great. Well, that means there's more peanut butter cookies in your life, and that's a win for everybody. Right. But I think it's worth asking: what's the what's the best case scenario here? What's what's the outcome that makes this worth? launching into a confrontation. <clears throat> Confrontations are a tool that you use to get to a better place in that relationship. They don't have any value on their own. They don't have an intrinsic value. They have a value as they lead to a better relationship. So the thing that we want to evaluate is what what's the better relationship this might lead to. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. There's there's a lot of uh, mis misconstruing of kind of co- what confrontation does and what the reality of it is. There's also a little misconstruing of what that is. If you grow up in a really contra- confrontation averse um, subculture, which hello white Christianity, yeah, or and you, or you grow up shy or whatever it is, just the idea that kind of confrontation means being uh, kind of uh, blustery cable news, kind of you know calling people pinheads and yelling about things, and that it has to be a very aggressive thing. So part that's part of establishing that line as well. Do I do I is this a big enough deal for me to yell at someone over? And then yeah. you know it kind of falls out of that. But confrontation does not have to be that way. There is, as we're saying, there are some confrontations that go that way that that may even be a small subset of healthy confrontation. Absolutely. Maybe to uh, quote uh, Glenn himself, crawl it, I crawled up his backside and kicked my way out. <laughs> yes. Sometimes, if, if you're Glenn, more than average, that's a holy calling from the Lord. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. But in general, confrontation is just disagreement. So there's making yourself heard when yep. someone assumes something is a confrontation, but it's not that type of confrontation. You talk us through a little bit of that difference, Lee. Yeah. One thing that I really love about what Glenn and Jed are both laying out is just if you want to do conflict well, how much thinking is involved rather than just running with your emotions. Yes. I, I love yes. the way that they've laid yeah. – it's kind of an underlying thing of all the stuff that they've both laid out is that when you feel tension coming up in a conversation, it's time to really start thinking and really get a hold of your emotions. It's kind of a time where you you say, I need to think creatively. I need to think um, faster than I feel. And, and, and I need to think about this from several different angles as, as Glenn's saying, if you, if you just emotionally jump in this, then it's just going to be that thing of, I think you're wrong. You know, as Glenn said, it's not, that's pretty rude, you know, or just, you know, as, as Jed's saying, if you just, well, uh, uh, you know, I I like some Democrats, you know, and then the room just blows up or whatever. So whatever the case is, I think that's, that's a good place to start is to know that when tension starts to heat up. This is the time to think, not feel. And yeah. that's a really, yeah. I think that's yeah. a really big key. One of the things that's interesting is when you look at a lot of research actually about relationships, romantic relationships and, and friendships and stuff like that, and family relationships, one, one thing that people that are clinical experts will talk about is what are the techniques that de-escalate the temperature of a conflict? or a confrontation. And one of the things that they found over this, you know, a a lot of research has found over a lot, a lot, a lot of clinical uh, data is that there's something that some, that people in conflict and confrontation actually want more than they want to be right. And that is they want to be understood. And so when you are like, when, when somebody's heating up in, in a conflict, one way that you can deescalate it is to say, I see what you're saying. If you lead out with, I, I understand where you're coming from, it makes sense that you see it that way, and if they're asking you to speak on it, that you start with from a place of understanding, and then you can talk about 
what you say, what, the way that you're feeling about it. And what you're doing is you're coming at, a, at, at that thing with a, a, you know, an angle of civility and respect. And that is, a, that is one of those huge things that can really de-escalate the temperature and the tension in the room when you're in this, is how can I slow down enough in, in my emotions and outthink this, think faster than I feel, and really show this person a lot of respect and really give them the benefit of the doubt and say, I, I understand that you feel a certain way, even if you don't agree with them. And start with the respect and stuff like that, because your goal is not just to say your piece. Your goal is not just to, you know, to fly the flag of whatever your viewpoint is, but your goal is actually to de-escalate that tension so that you can actually have a conversation. What's really cool is, is that when you, when you learn some of these skills that these guys are talking about to de-escalate the tension, to show respect and, and all that kind of stuff, what happens is, is that you can actually have civil conversations with, full of disagreement without any emotion, you know, without any, you know, explosive emotion whatsoever. And you can even, what's really cool is you can actually learn how to do that within marriages, within close friendships. And it's a real, that's a really, really cool skill. It's one that you're going to need because when you're in mature relationships, you are going to disagree with people and you're going to continue to disagree with people. And so to learn this stuff is huge, huge skill. That's absolutely right. That's a lot of very good stuff there. I think um, the the point that cannot be stressed enough about uh, confrontation is not can't should not be an emotional thing. Yeah, that's one thing you're hearing come through in all these answers is that idea of if you if you are to the point where you can't not say something anymore, you've pushed this. You've waited too long. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of that goes back to um, the point Jed was making about whether or not it's a good idea has nothing to do with your emotional status. People, we I can say this for all, probably all of us. That's true. I encounter things in life, conversation online, where people say things that just piss me all the way off. Yep. But that's not the uh, that's not the level. That's not the indicator that it is time to confront something. No, it's what is laying on the other side. It's yep. the thing you know, saying at work that you know, and some of this is scriptural. You know, so well we all hate Janice at work, right? And <laughs> no, that's that's gossip. That's we're not. I'm not trying to be on that. That's that's a good point to stand up for. And you're gonna you're gonna err on both sides of that line as you learn how to do this. That's okay. You're gonna grow yeah. on that. You're going to chew someone absolutely all the way out for something you will end up being wrong about. You will end up not saying something about something you should have done. But you'll learn to dial it in. The the main thing is to understand, and you have to come from a lot of this comes from the inside out. You have to be confident in what you're on before you can really represent that to the outside world. And just very quick to jump in, I'm cooking on all these things that you guys are saying. And and part of what I'm hearing in here too, is the idea that sometimes people are expressing sort of unpleasant viewpoints because they have an emotional hangup. Mm-hmm. And that's coming out as hatred for mm-hmm. X group of people or whatever. But if you confront that logically, you just set off that anger even more because mm-hmm. it's really no. fueled it's by not anger. a logical opinion. Therefore, it can't have a logical counterpoint. Right. So that might be something more like, why does this make you so angry? You yeah. all, it seems like you're always angry when you talk about this. Why is this, you know, there's a there's something deeper going on. Yeah. In, invite the deeper conversation rather than try and, 
you know, argue their way out of it or something. That's know? a fantastic point. It points to one of the things you'll you're hear on this podcast a lot is you're listening to four guys who um, a lot of their job involves kind of counseling style ministry. So it's definitely something that fits, you know, as, as Lee is talking about, as he's going to talk about a close friend, someone you're in a ministry relationship with, a spouse, whatever, that make you dig deeper what's in there. If it's just somebody at work, uh, whatever. Whatever. Push on, dude. Yeah. yeah, there's, you know, one of the things when you start doing more confrontation, this is actually true of us at the bridge where we have, you know, we have to deal with people occasionally. Saying, um, if there are things in your life you know you have to confront, that really um, sets the gauge for things that you can just let slide. That's yep. right. A lot of people with a lot of weird opinions and the difference between them, when them they try to rope you in going, come on, don't, just wet. No, let's... Leaving, I've I've gotten up and at a family function and walked from heard something so stupid in the living room. I walked up and went to the kitchen, then heard something so stupid in the kitchen that I got up and left the house entirely. Yep, because <laughs> uh, it wasn't it wasn't worth trying to fix their opinions yeah. on these things. Yep, been there. Yeah, we just kind of got to move on. So again, you know, it's it is a complicated thing. We don't want her to say it's not, but you, you do have the tools to do that, and there's some simple techniques, and you'll get better at it. All right, move on to our second question here. It comes anonymously at our Tumblr inbox. It says, what is the line between unity and freedom in worship and someone being a distraction or self-seeking? People in my church like to jump up and down, purposely clap off beat, pray mm-hmm. out loud or in tongues during silent prayer, sing obnoxiously loud. I don't want to be the decorum police, but where's the line between allowing people the freedom to do what they want to worship though you may be uncomfortable and encouraging behavior like what Paul warns about when trying to maintain order in worship services. Jed, you lead a worship service in one of the more colorful environments I've ever been in. Why don't you start us off here? I appreciate you. I appreciate you writing in. You know, I've had a a fairly unique life. So um, I uh, grew up in Miami and and, um, was very involved both in music and church stuff there. So I there was exposed to a lot of different cultures and the way that a lot of different cultures worship. And then since then, that's actually only amplified. I'm regularly in all kinds of worship and church experiences that are not the culture that I grew up in. And the thing, the reason I mention that is you realize different people worship in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, they express themselves in different ways. Some are very exuberant and boisterous. Some are very subdued and very... Uh, kind of downbeat. And the key thing is there's actually nothing wrong with any of them. That's right. Uh, one is is not better than the other. All of us in life have aesthetic preferences. Yep. And that's fine. Uh, that's a normal part of hum- being a human being. Uh, we get into trouble when we assume there's something holy about our aesthetic preferences. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I think you may want to look at if that's part of what's going on for you here is are you deciding your aesthetic preferences are holier than than other people's i don't know if you are or you're not that's something to, to think about and pray about to go through the list of things you said these aren't quite created equal people in my church like to jump up and down there's nothing wrong with that they like to i don't know what you mean by purposely clap off beat i, I assume you mean a, a little bit more complicated clapping pattern which is fine people do that all the time um they like to sing obnoxiously loud that Feels like it's kind of a relative thing, but it may depend on how loud the music is. The only one to me that, you know, I, I could see a concern about is they like to pray out loud or in tongues during silent prayer. That, that's not really a, a worship thing, and that mm-hmm. that might actually be something for the, the church leadership to do something about. If you're not in leadership, mm-hmm. that wouldn't really be your role. Um but the key thing here is it's different strokes for different folks, man. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you're not digging the worship uh, style that your church does, 
look for a different church. Right. Go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you generally dig what your church does, but there's some people that are driving you crazy during worship, stand somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, be, be in a different part of the sanctuary. I, again, I think the the thing is, um, I, and I'm not trying to criticize you here. There's a bit of a tone in your question where you're kind of um, uh, reading motives into what other people are doing. Um, that they're trying to make things overly raucous. They're trying to, you know, draw attention to themselves. You actually don't know that that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, that that just may be the way these people worship. Uh, right. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that. And it may be worth asking, do you know how you like to worship? You know, you have a sense of yes. what you don't like to see other people do. But yes. do you know what you like? And if you know what you like, then I think you owe it to yourself to find a place that caters to that. Yeah. Um, you and know, I don't think a lot of people do know what they right. like in worship. They don't at all. Yeah. They, yeah. they don't at all. Um, the short answer to your question is um, the job of determining is this stuff over the bar and over the line belongs to the church leadership. Um, if you're not in leadership in that church, that's actually not your job and it's not something you need to be concerned about. Um, if you are in church leadership, you should send me a message offline. I'd be happy to talk with you further. The key thing is if you're not in church leadership, you owe it to yourself to find a place that does it for you, that you dig. Um, so get on that journey. If where you're at today isn't doing it for you, find a place that is. And um, we, we have no doubt you'll be able to do that. I had something right. It's a very important point to pick up here, both in in the context of this question and the wider context. Um, I shudder to sound like a 55-year-old um, uh, Washington Post writer, but we live in kind of the uh, the think peace culture. Yeah. And Christianity is real bad about that. Like, you know, there's the, all the, uh, around here we refer to them as the wannabe relevance, the yeah. kind of websites that are all filled with, you know, Christian culture stuff. And that's not to uh, dismiss them. It's just they have a, a, a much smaller audience than like a relevant magazine. And they, there's this idea of, well, the dissecting and the thinking through and Christians do this and five reasons that churches need to do that. And there's a place for that, I guess, and all that. But as Jed very smartly points out, if you're not in leadership at a ministry or a church, your opinions on what people should be doing during worship have no effect on right. anything. And don't get me wrong, because I have all sorts of opinions that don't affect anything. Yeah, right, right. I have I have lots of opinions on the way everybody should be doing everything. <laughs> um, but there are like two or three arenas in life where those are worth expressing because I have some kind of, you know, leadership role in that the rest of it. I just kind of have my opinion, but I'm not in charge of it. So, you know, if a four hour gala makes you happy, don't mm. invite Glenn, please yeah. don't. but Other than I, that. I don't think gala should be four hours, but I'm not the one throwing any galas. So, right. you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> but the, so, but part of that is, I think you're in a way, and I don't mean this um, wrongly, but I'd like to get Lee to pick up on a little bit of what Jay was talking about there in the sense of, you're not entirely asking the right question here of should people be doing this or that? The question here is what's the line on when I should be looking for a new church, both in the sense of people are just, this is clearly not a culture I mesh well with people are here. They like it. It's cool. And I, and I can go and Lee, I'd like you to speak to that, but I'll also get to speak to this idea. I think it's an important one. When we looked at, you know, Paul talks about orderly worship that's in there. But what what's the line between somebody has a somebody has a different definition of orderly than I do, and that's all cool. Versus this has kind of become a free for all, which can be an indication of a church that maybe doesn't have the type of on the ball leadership you want. So you talk to kind of both aspects of that, Lee. Yeah, I think first of all, I think Jed is exactly right, and and I know that I've been to. 
I've been to experiences before where people have been into stuff that made me feel highly uncomfortable and they were super great with it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to roll out of this. And that's totally cool. I mean, if, if people are doing their thing and it is really, really not working for you, then exactly as Jed's saying, somebody else calls those shots. And so, I mean, there are a lot of people, you know, I've been a worship leader for a lot of years and there are a lot of people that have uh, brought in their opinions about how poorly I'm doing certain aspects of it. And, um, you know, and I, uh, there have been times when I've uh, when I've told Christy and I've told uh, you know other guys on the elder board and stuff like that. You know, they say, "What do you what do you say to those people?" And I'm like, "I don't say anything to them. I don't answer it. I don't actually have to listen to that." You know, I mean, the the you know the this is this job is my job to call these shots, and this is the way we're going to do it. You know, and so as, as Jed is saying, the leadership of this place calls these shots, and so if it's really not working for you, it's just simply time to move on. You'll be able to find all kinds of different stuff all over the place, and so that's that that's a thing where it's like you know move on, look you know find another place. But another thing on this is, and as Matt's saying, the, the scriptures are clear that there should be order in worship. There there should be, you know, Paul said, when he talks specifically about speaking in tongues, he said, I don't want people, you know, uh, you know, 20 people speaking in tongues at the same time, because you should have, if somebody speaks in tongues, there should be somebody to interpret there, and there should be order, you know. But people's definition of what orderly worship is, is completely different. I mean... If some of the people that, you know, I, I went to a certain kind of worship, college worship service uh, when, when, when Christy and I were in college, if some of the folks in that worship service went to some of our chapel services that we've done uh, behind bars, they would think that thing is crazy, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and it's awesome. Like the chapel services that we've had have been awesome, it's just, but it's a totally different environment. Um, this, the, the line that you say about, um, people singing, um, if I could just pick out one thing that people are singing, uh, you know, uh, super loud or whatever. I can't remember exactly what, Oh, sing obnoxiously, obnoxiously loud. I'm going to, I'm going to say this right out front. I wish everybody in our church would sing obnoxiously loud. Like yeah, I wish yeah. everybody would sing as loud as they possibly could. When, yep. yeah. when we, when we get that thing going, for instance, like when we would show up, at county jail with our little song sheets in hand and they would let us bring the guitar back into the room and we would start going there would be people telling us they could hear us two units over through the cinder block walls and everything and that's because these guys cannot wait for tuesday so that they could get their praise on and so what some people consider unorderly other people have been waiting for all week long um, and so the, these are the kinds of definitions that change. One thing I would suggest is, I think, I think Jed's exactly right. I come down on this. You, you owe it to yourself to find a place that works for you. The other thing that I would say is there are, there are times when you should push and stretch what your definition of comfortable is. Yeah, that's in, also true. In worship. I, I, th- I think you also owe it to yourself to, to listen to maybe worship records you wouldn't normally listen to, to listen to genres of worship music that you maybe have never tried on before, to go to a church that's not your ethnicity, to go to a church that's not even maybe your language group. Try different stuff out because you owe it to yourself to see that the people's definition of worship is way bigger than yours is. And uh, I mean, you do, you should find a place that, that fits for you at the same time, at the same time, you also owe it to yourself to see how big the world is of, of what 
orderly worship means, of what raucous worship means, of what of what praise means to different believers. I think that's a great point. I think we've we've kind of gone pretty hard because it's a very important uh, aspect of this on the you know the, a, most uh, a lot of to most of worship stuff falls into the realm of it's fine. It's a matter of taste. It's a matter of culture. It's you know. It's a matter of you know what the leadership wants. That's cool. There is an aspect of a particular type of worship or some particular things in worship, which you don't say in your question. Jed went through that. There, there's the whiffs of it, where the idea is this is exactly what the church leadership is looking for, and they're looking for that because they want to particularly stir up the emotion and the hype. Yeah. And we see actually see that a fair amount with some of the churches we work in the inner city. And uh, Glenn, can you maybe walk us through what that profile of things starts to look like? Well, yeah, I think um, it, as Jed pointed out, it, 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 when you see something that maybe is different culturally speaking or whatever than what you're used to, it's easy to kind of judge that. It's easy to kind of assign a motive, as, as Jed was saying, and to say this looks fake. This looks like it's um, you know kind of. Uh, put upon and 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 this is you know a, a church culture thing and it, it's not at all like my interesting scarf that's sincere yeah <laughs> you know nobody's going mm, we just right now we just want to streams and mountains and all that you know that's if you're used to that then it, it, everything else seems fake his love is like a nature metaphor glenn <laughs> yeah b- b- believe me i i think some of that stuff is is pretty yeah. fake but here's the thing is neither one of us can go on sort of that impression because it is uh, affected by a bit of that culture shock uh, as as jed is rightly pointing out uh so it means we do need some discernment here is yeah. this something that's just different and I'm not used to it, so it seems funny to me. And it's not for me, and that's okay. Or is this a case of this is actually something where we're ramping up a lot of emotion, we're building up a bunch of hype, we're just trying to amp that up as, as a substitute for something substantive. Um, because I think uh, one of the things we want to look at here is what is the purpose yeah. for worship? Yeah, you know? that's this, great. This is about let's get our minds and our hearts ready for receiving the word. Right. Now, for me, I'll just tell you how I am. I like a lively service. I, I like it, some singing and, and some clapping. Um, if, you, if you go back around on that chorus more than a couple <laughs> of times, we're get, we're get, I'm going to give you a look. And that look means land the plane, dude. <laughs> well... To the point you know we I mean? made earlier about the confrontation with if people just knew what I was saying, they couldn't disagree with me. The reason the people aren't singing is they don't know the words enough. Yeah. More yeah. choruses. Yeah. Yeah. That's not yeah. that's not that's not the variable, dude. Just yeah. Just it, it it's not always more is better on that. You know, <laughs> you just 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 bring it in for a landing. Let's go to the next song. It's all good, you know. Let's get some variety going in here. If you're if you're going past about five minutes on any worship song, you are Your name better be Bob Zimmerman. Yeah. So that that's the thing is, um, but uh, but we're preparing our hearts to receive the word, and that means that's that's letting things go. Now, what's funny is I actually like a lively worship service uh, along those lines. But what's funny is for me, the more I let things go, the more relaxed I am because mm-hmm. I carry a lot around. I got you know a lot of ministry responsibilities, and you carry a lot of stress, and you go to church. You get your worship on. You're giving things up to the Lord. For me, if you let me, if there was a, if my dream is to sit in the pews one day and there's a recliner where I just pull the handle and I can go back into a lazy boy position to experience church. 
because I'm now I'm finally relaxed. Dude, right. you, you know, and I'm Christy more... are the same on that. She she would yeah. like to be able to ha- everything gets more chill and then there's and then the people disappear and then she can just kind of let the let the yeah. words sink in and that kind of thing. Yeah. And now I'm yeah. there, baby. You know? Yeah. So it's it's you know, everybody has a different kind of take right. on that stuff and and you know, sometimes I'm I'm sort of uh, jumping and clapping or whatever it is uh, because I don't want to discourage other people, but it's not really what gets me there. Mm-hmm. Like I said, for me, I, I like more of that relaxation. Um, uh, 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 but hype and emotion aren't doing that for me. That's not preparing me to hear the word. That's just you know uh, preparing me for a, a manipulation move that you're trying to put on me. So. We want to be able to, to discern the difference of that, not react to sort of a cultural thing. One quick thing um, uh, that I want to tack on to the end of this, because I think it, uh, it applies in a much larger sense. There's always this question for churches, for youth groups, for uh, campus ministries and so forth. Do we orient this meeting to those of us who have been coming and growing in the Lord and investing in this thing and 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 building it up, do we make it for us fundamentally, or do we make it for this new person that's walking in the door? Mm-hmm. That's always a bit of a of of a conflict. We have to decide that. We have to constantly wrestle with what are we going to do with that. The good news is the Bible te- it te- gives us a very clear illustration of this. Jesus says, uh, "There's a there's a son. He goes away. He takes his inheritance. He blows it. He does everything wrong. He comes home." And the father throws him a party, rejoices, puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe on his back, and the older brother says, this sucks. I was here all this time. I was doing all the right stuff. I didn't make any dumb mistakes. Nobody throws me a party. Nobody kills a fatted calf. Nobody puts a ring on my finger. Nobody puts a robe around my my back. Nobody cares. Yeah. And if you dig it, on a certain level, he kind of has a point. Sure. But Jesus is saying, tough noogies, that's not how it works. Yeah. We are rejoicing about this new person. Yeah. And we're making we're acclimating this to the new person who's come back to the thing. So do we acclimate this to us who who are, are, are in depth in this stuff, or do we acclimate it to that person coming in the room? And I'm not talking about seeker sensitive. I, you know, I know people get tweaked out when they think that's what you're talking about. I'm talking about oriented to the new believer, oriented to the prodigal that's returning. Mm-hmm. Everything needs to be geared and and set up to make sure that's the that's the focus. That's a lot of fantastic stuff on that. I'm going to move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. It says, "I need help understanding James five thirteen to sixteen." says that a prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well. Also to pray for each other so that we'll be healed. Righteous prayer is effective and powerful. My mom died recently from cancer, even though the whole church prayed. I'm struggling with why those prayers didn't work. How do I understand this? Did we not pray in faith? Did we not confess our sins? Or is there something else I'm missing? And Lee, you want to start us off on this one? Well, we want to thank you for writing in. And, and the, the, the only thing that we can start out on this is is by saying that we're so sorry about your mom, and uh, I mean there's Man. there there's nothing that we could say that's that um, can heal the way 
that you're feeling and what you're going through, but we are sorry. We'll be praying for you. And, uh, and especially if there's, if there's like a specific way that we can be praying with you through just what you're going through as, as far as kind of the grieving, the next steps of your life and stuff like that, would you please just message us back and let us know? because we really would love to be praying for you. But this, and, and, and look, the, here's the thing about this passage of scripture in James. It's tricky. And, and what I'm about to say is sucky. And I know it's sucky, but it's, it's actually tricky because of the translation of these words. And I, I know that kind of sucks, but it's absolutely true. In fact, in verse 14, the, there's a, there's a, James asks the question, is anyone sick? And the Greek word that he uses for the word sick is, um, is the, the Greek word is asthenio. And, you know, and sometimes, and the way that you kind of figure out what did these words mean to them is you find out like every time it's used in the New Testament, and then you look at other ways that we translated it. How else was, was it used to them? And this word asthenio, sometimes it's used about sick people, about people with physical sicknesses. But... Like in John chapter five, it's used of the the paralytic guy that's at the pool at Bethesda. It's you know, so it's it's used of a person who can't walk. In the book of Romans, it's actually used three times about people whose faith is weak, whose whose faith has been weakened because of something that's going on. And and later in the book of Romans, this same word is used to describe the law. And it says the law was a weak system in that it could not save us from our sins. I, I, that's a lot of boring Bible stuff just to say that really what this word means is it means weak. It doesn't necessarily mean if you are sick with a sickness and you pray, then you will get better from your sickness. He's talking about people that are weak. In the next verse, in verse 15, the word that he uses for that we've translated sick, it's a word that every other time it's used means weary. And so that that's important for you to know so that you know that James isn't saying that prayer is a talisman or an incantation and if you get all the words right that it will guarantee you that 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 you know that, that the pieces will fall in place and that and that God will do exactly what you're asking. And so you know to really to answer your question it's not that you guys prayed in a wrong way, it's not that you didn't have enough faith or anything like that. Prayer is a mysterious thing. Um, God invites us to pray. He wants us to pray. He wants us to come to Him in faith. He wants us to come to Him knowing that that He loves us and He has a plan for us. But frustratingly, God does things His own way, and sometimes He answers our prayers in ways that we don't want Him to. But uh, you know, He wants us to come to Him when we're sick. He wants us to come to Him when we're weary, when we're weak, and uh, and and these are this is this is tricky stuff. It's mysterious stuff. But, um, but you know, the, the main thing on this is we are sorry. We're sorry that this happened. We're, you know, I, I wish prayer was that way. I, frankly, I wish you could just have enough faith and pray and that, and that stuff would happen like that. But, um, I, you know, and it doesn't help just to say to you, that's not what James was saying, but, uh, but prayer is a mysterious thing, man. There's a lot of good stuff in there. So we talked about, I think Lee gave us a lot of good kind of Bible background on that. Now that's particularly about this passage. Maybe he likes to continue talking on about this idea of, of maybe even apart from this James passage, this idea of um, prayer for healing. Mm. Because certainly there are a couple of things. The Bible is real clear about that. 
there are a couple of things uh, that can somewhat seem contradictory. There are some things we've experienced that maybe even don't always seem to fit, as Lee's pointing out here, a very tidy narrative of what we can all be very clear, and we'll probably reiterate many, many times, because it's worth pointing out, um, there's nothing that says, pray in this way, do these things, be this righteous when you pray, and you will get what you want. And you'll halt death. Stuff. Well, one thing I would point out for the Bible stuff there that before we move on that uh, I don't think Lee got to is this idea of a righteous prayer that that James 5 thinks says the prayer of a righteous person is effective and powerful. Very clear, very important. Also very important to know what the word righteous means right. in the New Testament context. What it does not mean is someone who is very well-behaved or very good or a Christian. Righteous yeah. is someone who has been declared of a certain type of status of not being uh, paying the penalty for their sins. And the Bible says very clear that everybody who's a believer in Jesus is covered under the new covenant is the same amount of righteous. Absolutely. Yep. So we're not, and we're not saying that the well-behaved people get their prayers pushed front, but you know, Jed, like to get you started with this. We'll let uh, Glenn close this out. This idea that um, the certainly um, miraculous um, scientifically unexplainable healing happens. Absolutely. Um, it doesn't always happen, and it never lasts forever. But how do we how do we put that in a box where we understand prayer? It's a great question, and um, just to echo what Lee said, we're so so sorry for your loss. Um, we're we're with you. Our, our our hearts are with you. We're praying for you. Um, the truth is that every single person who was ever born on planet Earth has died. That's right. the truth, um, with um, no exceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bible nerds, save your emails. We all we all know it. Um, Practically speaking, every person who's ever born has died. Every mm. person who will be born will die. That's that's a 100% thing. Um, Lazarus, who Jesus personally raised from the dead, died again. Right. Uh, we Everybody Jesus healed died. Everybody Jesus healed died. The healing, the physical healing that God offers is a delay of the inevitable. It's not a cancellation of the inevitable. Right. And the there are, um, there are people in the Christian world, there are people in churches that... Um, they, they are on this healing stuff like you wouldn't believe, uh, and they just wait for that moment where somebody's sick and they can bring out all their theories and besides and so forth. But the bottom line is that everybody dies. That's, that's the bottom line. We, we had a gal, this a few years ago, we had a gal that was a very critical part of our ministry who we all love dearly and is one mm-hmm. of our favorite people in the world. One of the sweetest, kindest people I've ever met who was barely 30 years old and, um, had an unbelievably difficult life and was doing the best she had ever been doing and was at work one day and started to feel not very good and then felt really, really not very good and then had an aneurysm and was in a hospital bed for about a week and a half and then she died. And I can't tell you the amount of prayer that was offered during that week and a half for that young woman. Um, People all over the world... Um, uh, if you want to get into a, a theological righteousness contact, uh, a contest, Matt is right. If you are a Christian, you're as righteous as righteous can be the end. But if you want to talk about spiritually impressive people, the most spiritually impressive people you could imagine were praying for this young woman. And not only did she die, she, she didn't even improve. Right. There, there was no moment where it looked like maybe things are going better. Right. It just sucked. And then it sucked some more. And then she died. Yeah. Um, d- yeah. D- despite a million pounds of prayers over those mm-hmm. 10 days. Well, what do we do with that? Um, I think we do a a couple of things. We remind ourselves again that the Bible says it is the destiny of man to live but once and then to face um, the throne. Um, The Bible says we're all going to pass away. Um, uh, If God, 
Paul said something very interesting at one point in one of his epistles. He said, I eagerly desire to depart and be with Christ because that is so much better. Mm-hmm. But I know you people need me, so maybe I got to hang around here too. Mm-hmm. It's a funny idea to be a person where you recognize this world has almost nothing to offer other than suffering and sorrow. <laughs> right. Um, uh, and um, I want to go home. I want to go to where my father is. I want to go to where there is no sickness and pain and difficulty. I want to go to that place where God does wipe every tear from my eyes. If God has more work for me to do here, then I'm willing to still be here. But man, when he's ready to take me home, I'm ready to go home. Mm. That's what Paul is saying. I think it's a weird thing. All of us... Um, Life is precious, and, and all of us want to hold on to it. When God does not heal a person, what God, in essence, is saying is, their work for me is done. Mm-hmm. They have done the things that I put them here to do, and I'm going to bring them home. Mm-hmm. It's right. odd to say that we should rejoice in that, because um, how, how could we? This person I loved is gone. This, this right. person, and, and it may well be a minute before I see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as much as, here, here's what's going on. You have people saying to you, if you're just holy enough, God will do anything you want. If you're just holy enough, God will make this sick person well. Right. Are you, do you have what it takes? Are you holy enough? Right. And not only is that wrong, it's a complete misreading of the situation. Right. When, when God brings a person home, he is saying their work is done. Right. The, the things that I needed them to do, they have done. I'm bringing them home now. If God says, you know what, I am going to heal this person, and that's completely his prerogative, and, and I'm going to heal this person whether that's through the vehicle of modern medicine, whether that's right. through the vehicle of a miraculous intervention, whether it's something else, I'm going to restore this person to health, that's because I have work yet for them to do. Right. That's not exactly a blessing in the right. way that people think about it. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, that's, I got another mission for you to go on, right. friend. Right. That, right. That, that's what that means. People that are into faith healing never, ever talk about that ever at the end, right. no matter what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those of us who have lost people near and dear to us, and I know this includes you, we take comfort in the fact that those people are home with the Lord. Yeah. That they are finally in that place where there is no more pain, there is no more suffering. That he said to them, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your master's happiness. Um, uh, it's weird to think of it this way, but, but that, that is the good we all seek. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that is the good that because of Jesus' death on the cross um, uh, waits for us all. In the meantime, we're so sorry for your loss and we're praying for you. That's yeah, a lot of absolutely great stuff. Glenn, I'd like you just to take us out here on um, where do we go from here? So clearly I thought prayer kind of worked one way. I learned a very, um, very sad lesson that that's not what it is. But right. Where does our relationship with the Lord, what does our faith look like from here? Well, I think, uh, and, and let me start by saying and, uh, that I agree with these guys that we would rather be talking about grief than exploring the theology of this situation. Yeah. It feels a bit like we're, we're do- dodging the big issue here to talk about sort of the technical issue that's off to the side. Yeah. And also, grieving people don't think clearly. Yeah. Right. So uh, we, 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 are, we don't want to put, point out the logical fallacies in what you're talking about because it would seem to just be cruel. Right. You know, the, the reality is all people are meant to live forever. All people are meant to never be sick. But you have to die to get to that place, yeah. and you're desperately trying to pray this person out of that place. Yeah. So I, the, the, there is no logic to that if you believe all those things. But you don't care about the logic. You don't yeah. care about the theology, nor should you. You should care. I want this person here. 
and they're not here. And I want it to not be that way. That's perfectly okay. There's nothing wrong with saying that. There's nothing wrong with feeling that. I'm sure that you hold these two totally contradictory thoughts in your mind. A, I want this person to be with me. B, I would not wish them back from heaven mm-hmm. and, and, and that they would lose that in order to, to have them be here with me. Those two things contradict each other, but you feel them both. And that's okay. It sure. makes sense. I've been there as well. We all have. Uh, we know uh, what's going on here. The other thing is, again, theologically, uh, you know, <laughs> bless your heart, you know God is going to do what God wants to do. Yeah. Right. You, you, you got a verse, you read a verse that says a thing with the, but you know, God is all powerful. He's yeah. sovereign. He has his own mind about things. He's going to do whatever he wants. Uh, you would like to win God over to your way of thinking. <laughs> Bless your heart. He would like to win you over to his way of thinking. Yeah. But the, the thing I want to say on a positive tip is the wrestling of those two things is what creates a really good relationship mm. and a good quality Christian, you know. Um, but it, I, I think it is at the end of that wrestling process landing on submitting to his way. Yeah. I have to make my case. Sure. Or I can't, I can't really submit Yeah. for me. I'm just talking about me now. I have to say, God, here's what I think is the smart thing, and I can't imagine anyone who is smart that would disagree with that, so there you go. You know, just do what I think, you know. But I have to recognize there are times when I have gone to God, I have said, God, this is what I want, and God has given that to me, and it has ended horribly. Yeah, big disaster. And I learned the lesson when I'm campaigning, to somewhere in that process, stop and pull up and say, "This is what I feel certain, and this is right." And I and I want it on an emotional level more than a logical level, and I don't know all the variables. So if this is a dumb thing to ask for, don't give it to me. But I really, 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 really want it. And you need to hear me tell you how hard <laughs> I want this thing. Yeah, I can't submit until after I've done that. So I I think that's. A good thing, faith doesn't begin when you want something badly, which is what I'm suspecting you've been told. Uh, faith does not begin when you believe it real hard, which is also what I'm guessing you've been told. Faith starts when you don't get what you want. Yeah, That's when faith begins, when it's all hitting the fan and you're saying, God, get me out of this. If you don't do X, then I just don't know what we're going to do. And he doesn't do that. Yeah. That's where the faith, now faith is, it. there's no, you don't need faith to get by yeah. when everything's unfolding the way you want it to unfold and, and everything is the way you want it to be. Faith begins when it's just too late and it's not what I want it to be and now we're swamped and we're overwhelmed. And, and, and in these moments, again, this is where uh, the relationship is cemented together. This is where it gets real, where we turn to God, and we say, you didn't give me what I want, and I'm sure on an emotional level that I'm right, even though I acknowledge that you're smarter than me, and it's breaking my heart, and I'm angry, and I don't know who to be angry at, and it, it feels like it you would fit that because you were involved, and you could have stopped it, but um, I'm, just, I'm just having these emotions because I'm grieving, 
and um uh, and and I want you to do what's best for this person and you know better and and so having said all that I I want to submit to whatever you whatever your plan is whatever your idea is and help me to do that because I don't want to because I'm I'm mad and I want it to be my way. That's absolutely right. That's a lot of great stuff there. All right. If you have any questions for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com. If you're right on the Tumblr, please remember to mention the podcast that I know you wanted answered on the blog. And here, if you want to sign up for Bridgebox, missionusa.com slash bridgebox, only $8 a month. Get a lot of cool stuff for your walk and help fund the ministry we're doing here in Chicago. We're taking out the song. This was recorded live at our bridge service. This is a song Jed wrote about a lot of the stuff we're talking about here in this last question. It's called My Reservation Has Been Made. And take you out with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. Nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast to fight, report to the contrary. We hate and are hated by all birds. <laughs> you sell me to night. Be afraid My reservation Has been made You have gone To prepare me A place Where we can Sit and talk Face to face Where you hold me And console me And they almost passed away No more crying or pain And you'll show me How you know me Then is how I know you Cause part of you lives now in me Though it looks like I'm falling apart The truth is you're transplanting my heart Show